Today's episode is sponsored by Feather. Feather provides digital marketing tools and strategies for nonprofits of all shapes and sizes, including the Humane Society of North Central Florida. Stick around for the break to hear how Feather powered their $300 digital ad campaign that raised nearly $6,000 in just one day. Hey, I'm John. And I'm Becky. And this is the We Are For Good podcast. Nonprofits are faced with more challenges to accomplish their missions and the growing pressure to do more, raise more, and be more for the causes that improve our world. We're here to learn with you from some of the best in the industry, bringing the most innovative ideas, inspirational stories, all to create an impact uprising. So welcome to the good community. We're nonprofit professionals, philanthropists, world changers, and rabid fans who are striving to bring a little more goodness into the world. So let's get started. Becky, I'm so excited this is happening. Oh my gosh, I feel like I, we have a female icon on the podcast today. I'm so excited about it. Seriously, I mean, it's our honor. And listen to the New York City background in this conversation. I'm so excited <laughs> right it. now. Feel the energy. I mean, we recognize the privilege, the opportunity this platform gives us. And there is never a day that we want to take that for granted. And so, you know, part of that responsibility is introducing you to missions that are really activating people and they're taking the lead. And today is one of those days. And we have got imposter syndrome because our guest and this foundation is truly making incredible strides and putting their money right where their mouthpiece is too on this issue. And we're talking to Prisca Bay. She's the vice president and head of partnerships for the Asian American Foundation. And her career path, like I can't wait to unwind her journey with us, but she spent a lot of her time in the private sector where she designed and launched philanthropic and social impact initiatives centered around communities of color and of women. She was recently at PepsiCo where she oversaw the gender diversity and women's strategy for the Global Diversity and Engagement Center of Excellence. She helped launch a $100 million commitment to women and girls and worked with leaders company-wide on gender parity and pay equity issues. So this is somebody that has on the front lines, on the for-profit sector. And now she's taking that mindset, taking her understanding and connections and channeling it on the philanthropy side. And we're just so excited. Priska was born in South Korea. She was raised in Chicago and is currently based in New York City. And so she has got our heart on all of those fronts. But the Asian American Foundation, I want you to know a little bit about this before I kick it to her to really share her story. But if you haven't heard of them, they're a convener, an incubator, and a funder committed to accelerating opportunity and prosperity for AAPI communities. And most recently, this just hit the news not too long ago, but they announced a more than $1 billion commitment for AAPI communities. So I can't wait to unpack this with you. Um, You know, they are leaning in and taking action against hate and violence and building infrastructure needed to improve advocacy, power, and representation. So we are so here for this conversation. And Prisca, we are delighted to just get to spend time with you in your orbit today. So welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Well, it is a joy. So please take us to your story. I know you're from South Korea. Walk us through just kind of growing up and kind of what led you to this work and this champion that you're doing today. Thank you. And thank you for letting me start from the beginning, because I do think that, you know, when you're talking to someone who's doing mission-driven work, it always starts at the beginning from when you were a kid. And I think as uh, an immigrant to the U.S., you know, you always grow up like wanting to feel connected to the country that you are in and also feeling really scared because, you know, my parents didn't go to college. My parents didn't speak much English. And so as a child of immigrants and an immigrant myself, I had to be that person, the representative, even from a very young age. And this is something that all immigrants will tell you, right? When you're young enough, you know, as soon as you get to read, you're the one reading all the mail for your family. 
you're the one doing all the calls for your family. You're the one telling, you know, the doctors what your parents are feeling. So I think growing up, I always felt this need to be connected um, to our country so that I can continue to be the best representative and advocate for my family, which is probably the reason I went to law school. Right. I think that when you grow up and you feel very powerless, you think of all the different ways that you can feel more powerful. And so law school was important. Working in the government was important. Um, going to schools like Columbia and Berkeley were important because I did feel like the more that I achieved, the stronger that I would be and the more informed I would be. Uh, I did not see my career taking a swerve into social impact. I had no idea that jobs like that even existed because, like I said, my parents you know, didn't go to college. We had no idea what kinds of jobs were out there. So I decided to be a lawyer. It was great training. It helps you become an advocate. I understand what a contract is. And you know what? Now I know all the lawyers. So if any of us have a problem, I can tell you who to go to, um, which is, you know, one of the benefits of going to law school. But I did a pivot, a hard pivot into social impact um, about a little over 10 years ago. Um, you know, the market was really terrible for lawyers at the time. This was during the recession. And so I just had the opportunity, very forced gumpy, to work in philanthropy. I got a call saying, hey, I'm doing this thing. It's a Goldman Sachs philanthropy. What do you think? And I thought, what a dream come true. Sure. It was a risk. I had no idea what I was jumping into. But my first job in philanthropy was to work at Goldman Sachs, helping give away a lot of money for their partners. And this was just a dream, right? Because, you know, this is the stuff that we all personally care about, but we just don't know how to turn that into a paying job. By the way, I was a woman's studies major in college. And when I made that yeah, decision, you were a my Berkeley baby, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> my brother did tell me that he, I would never get a job if that was my major and that I should reconsider. And um, my brother was ultimately wrong because, you know, for a long time, you know, I've been a paid feminist. I love saying that because joining the world of sort of social impact within the private sector, then you know all the places you can go. So I did philanthropy at Goldman Sachs. Um, I worked with leaders like Tina Brown and Milan Verveer. I don't know if you guys know Milan Verveer, but we should all know her. She was the ambassador for women and girls um, in the Obama administration. And we worked with companies on their women's strategies. Um, so I did a lot of work with these incredible leaders, working with companies who cared about women. And then I went in-house to PepsiCo to do that work um, when Indra Nui was the CEO, which has been, you know, such what a, a journey. You know, CEO. Oh, she is simply the best. She wrote a book that came out at the end of last year, Woman, Work and Family. Everyone should read it. She's wonderful. So I think I made a career of chasing powerful women and learning from them. You know, and I, I the the Asian American Foundation was not on my bingo card. I did not think that that was a part of my identity that I would frankly ever work in. You know, of course I supported Asian American issues and I'm on the board of the Korean American Community Foundation here in New York. But about a year ago, I got a call, you know, to see, you know, if I could help launch an organization and it was the Asian American Foundation. And if we all remember what was happening a year ago, we were, you know, it was the pandemic. Uh, I was in New York City. It was really scary outside for all of us. But for Asian Americans, it was especially triggering and scary because all of a sudden we were getting harassed on the street, attacked. Um, I have lived in New York for a really long time. I came here for college. I did not fear walking in the streets until recently. One of my first walks once we got out of lockdown was uh, was wonderful because it was bright and I was with my friend. But then I got threatened. Someone threatened to spit on me. 
What? And it was so jarring, right? In the middle of Manhattan, you know, Union Square, there's a farmer's market there. It's somewhere that I've been a hundred times before. And in the middle of the day, this, this man was sort of following us around. And it was a realization that this wasn't something that people were just seeing in the news or on social media. It was really real to, to me and to all of the other Asian people I have in my life. Um, it has happened since again. I had, you know, I went to my a doctor's appointment the other week. My dermatologist, who's this amazing Korean woman, told me that she was attacked near her apartment and that she feared going outside. So this is a story that is consistent among many of us. So when I got the call to work on this foundation, it was um, just a little bit of background. Because of the rise in hate, um, you know, some leaders came together to address this issue. And the rise in hate was actually tracked by the Anti-Defamation League. Uh, the ADL. So the president and CEO of the ADL, Jonathan Greenblatt, he had been seeing this and brought together a table of Asian American leaders and donors and said, hey, here's the data. I want to share this with you and you might want to do something about this. And so the people at that meeting actually came together and became our founding board members. So Jonathan, this guy, this non-Asian guy, right, is the one who helped found the Asian American Foundation. And so my board members are, you know, Lee Lu, he's this incredible um, leader, hedge fund manager. He's a trustee at Columbia. He is our board chair. Jerry Yang, co-founder of Yahoo. Joe Tsai, co-founder of Alibaba, owner of the Brooklyn Nets. Joe Bay. Joe and I have the same last name. We are not related. I wondered. I was going um, to ask. Okay. Unfortunately. <laughs> but I love Joe Bay. He is Korean American. He is a co-CEO of KKR. He is incredible. Um, we have Sheila Marcello, the founder of Care.com. We have Peng Zhao, this incredibly brilliant very young CEO of Citadel Securities. Um, we have, you know, our CEO, Norman Chen. So it's when you hear these like leaders, it's coming together, you know, and forming their own sort of community to create this organization. I think I paced my apartment for 10 minutes, like thinking like, this is exactly what I need for myself as an Asian American um, right now. So I'm all in. And so we helped launch this organization I joined early March. We launched it in early May. So in that sort of window of time, we brought in about 60 corporate partners because we knew that if we wanted to launch this organization and the board members put in a lot of their own personal capital, I think about $65 million over five years. um, We knew that we needed to launch with America's biggest brands because the thing about Asian Americans is we've been in this country for, for hundreds of years, but we are still foreigners. We are still, you know, we just moved here. And so it was important for us to show solidarity with fortune companies, with the biggest foundations. We, we, need, we needed them to help us launch and be by our side. So that's the work that I did. Um, I worked on something called the AAPI Giving Challenge, which sort of gently pressured our most beloved brands to do something for the Asian American community. And together, they committed over a billion dollars to the community over five years. First, can can we just say thank you. Um, there's just a lot that I want to sh- appreciate the way that you have shown up today and the way that you have threaded and vulnerably shared your story because I'll say, you know, Becky and I are really well aware that we're in the middle of Oklahoma and sometimes we need to be like slapped across the face with realities of some things that are for our friends. And I thank you for kind of bringing us there. Um, I love that this is your moment. I love that you have been in training grounds for this and these partnerships and this understanding you know, that you have built, like created this perfect inroads to, to, to really do what you have done. And congratulations, like what a beautiful testament to getting people together at the table. So I know Becky wants to hop in here too. 
I think I'm just on an emotional roller coaster a little bit because I'm, I'm thinking about little Presca like coming over to the States and I, I see you and I see you reading that mail for your parents. And I see you kind of going in the path that you think you should be going, but your heart is leading you in this different space. And I love this paid feminist um, piece. And I just see you leaning so bravely and unapologetically into it. And then I hear this story and I thank you for vulnerably sharing this horrific, these horrific stories. And I just want to say, do-gooders, all of you who are out here, you're listening here because we know podcast listeners are learners, but the people who come into this space have a lot of empathy. And what I want you to do as we're about to dive into this conversation is like open that up as much as you can because we can't allow this to happen. And we got to call this out and we've got to be allies for our Asian American friends. And I want to dive into how we're going to combat that. And I like have my boxing gloves on, like I am ready to talk about this. (laughs) But before we get into the anti-hate space, because you guys have created some incredible resources and data points around this. And I want to also give a shout out to say Jonathan with ADL is coming onto the podcast in May. So we're going to continue this conversation in about a month. So thank you for laying the groundwork for that too. But I, I want to talk a little bit about the Asian American Foundation. I want to read something on your website that really, really struck me. And it was your vision. And it says, your vision is an America where opportunities to participate in all aspects of society are equally accessible and individuals and communities are not rendered invisible nor singled out for false stereotypes, discrimination, or hate on the basis of race. What an aspirational vision. And I want you to kind of unpack this. I mean, you raised a billion (laughs) dollars in such a quick (laughs) amount of time. And I want you to talk about the Asian American Foundation and like, give us your history, give us your mission and give us an overview of the programs you all are building. So um, I I do want to take a moment to talk about that billion dollars. So it was our goal. There was a study that said Asian American organizations had been receiving less than 0.5% of philanthropy for like the last 30 years. And, you know, if we think about sort of the world of philanthropy and all the money that goes out, that's not a surprise. Yeah. You know, it's it's a teeny percentage and it's probably smaller than what I thought, but I knew that we weren't getting a lot of money because I know the nonprofit sector and I know that a lot of the nonprofits that I know of don't don't raise a lot of money. Um, and so when the board saw that, they said, like, let's let's start to work on that problem, right? And so what I was trying to do as someone who had worked inside companies, and I knew what budgets looked like, and I knew that Asian American organizations were not receiving corporate budgets the way that maybe we should. So what we wanted to do is just have conversations with every, as many CEOs and chief diversity officers and leaders as we could and say, what are you doing for the Asian American community? You know, you do not have to give money to us. We don't need it, but we want you to spend it on Asian American communities and causes, however you like, whether that's a charitable donation, it's marketing spend, it's supplier diversity, because we know that at, in every sort of way you're counting this, I'm positive Asian Americans are not getting our fair share. I'm positive. And so our goal was just to start that gentle sort of pressure 
and build a community so that we can all collectively do this together. There was no sort of minimum entry point. We did not want to shame anyone. We wanted to meet everyone where they were and be partners in that work together. So with every CEO we spoke to, we said, doesn't matter if you're not doing anything, let's start doing something together. And so added all up, it was over a billion dollars, which was extraordinary. So that tells you a couple of things, right? That number is, yes, it's wonderful that it's so big because I do think it, you know, captures a lot of attention um, and some headlines, but I also think it's much smaller than what it in reality is. And it's actually smaller than what it should be. So our goal is to continue to work with these companies to figure out what more they can do. Uh, the other message that we, we sh- you know, just feel it's important to share is we do not want to take anything from other communities of color or women or LGBT. So, cause we know these diversity budgets are teeny. Mm-hmm. And so they're slicing it up. Right. And so when we were having these conversations with CEOs and chief diversity officers, we said, we do not want to take any money from anyone else. We want you to grow that pie. And let's just start to talk about how to educate your leadership right? And your community to support your Asian American employees, because you, we know for a fact that your Asian American employees are, are, you know, having a hard time right now. Again, to be fair, you know, during the pandemic, we all know the news in the beginning was all about women, right? And like staying at home and sc- schooling their kids and all that stuff. And then it was George Floyd. Yeah. And it was the racial reckoning. And then it became about Asian hate. So I think that our goal is to work in allyship, with all of the communities that are trying to do good and do right. And honestly, I think because our board members come from the private sector, we are going to be very, very friendly and supportive partners to everyone because we do not want to tell anyone they're doing it wrong. We just want them to do right. Hey friends, this episode is presented by Virtuous and they just happen to be one of our favorite companies. Let me tell you why. You know we believe everyone matters, and we've witnessed the greatest philanthropic movements happen when you see and activate donors at every level. And here's the thing, Virtuous created a fundraising platform to help you do just that. It's much more than a nonprofit CRM. Virtuous is committed to helping charities reimagine generosity through responsive fundraising, which is simply putting the donor at the center of fundraising, growing giving through personalized donor journeys, and by helping you respond to the needs of every individual. We love it because this approach builds trust and loyalty through personalized engagement. Sound like Virtuous may be a fit for your organization? Learn more today at virtuous.org or follow the link in our show notes. Hey friends, are you ready to take your digital engagement to the next level but kind of feel stuck about where to start? Let us introduce you to Feather. Feather is an amazing tech startup focused on making nonprofit outreach more impactful by connecting you to your audience, wherever they are online. From fundraising to program awareness, they've got you covered. And rather than tell you, we just wanted to show you. For years, the Humane Society of North Central Florida has participated in a local online giving day called The Amazing Give. It's a competitive landscape for donations. So in 2021, the Humane Society knew they needed to stand out in order to maximize donations. For $300 in ad spend, their retargeting ads brought 119 visitors to their Amazing Give donation page and generated nearly $6,000 in donations in just one day. With Feather, a small amount of ad spend can go a long way. Learn more about their solutions for nonprofits at feather.co. That's feather without the last e.co. Now let's get back to this amazing conversation. And if I can thread a value, because I mean, 
you are so wicked smart. Can I just say Man, that? You are. The way that you approach this. But one of our core values that we see and we believe in is playing the long game. And mm-hmm. that's what y'all did. It's we're trying to meet you where you're at, be a resource, be an ally, paint the case or whatever support you need, because this is not going to be solved this year or next year. It's going to be the long game. So thank you for doing that and leading so uh, brilliantly. I think there's so much here that everybody could take with them. So let's transition into like where y'all were making these investments. Um, Cause I know this kind of connects to how your programming works to specifically anti-hate education data have I missed anything? Are those the core three? And how did y'all land there? Well, there's there's a fourth, but that that strategy is sort of being developed right now. It's culture and narrative. So Ooh. if you think about the reason why this organization and the board came together, right? It was to fight hate. But I think that's a short-term goal because we don't want, yeah. frankly, we don't want to fight hate forever. Yeah. We But we want to figure out what role we need to play in this movement against hate. And we're, we're still, you know, as you know, we're only a year old, so we're still figuring it out. But these are the four areas that we are we are sort of investing in and focusing our priorities on. Um, fighting hate means that we are trying to bring together a national network of organizations that are actually doing the work on the ground and figuring out how to support them. So when it happens, right, there is rapid response, there is feeling of support, there are resources so that we don't have to sort of like panic every single time. Um, but we also want to figure out like, what are the root causes? Like, why are the elderly and Asian women getting killed and beaten up on the streets, right? Yeah. So that is something that we, as a community, you know, if there are any listeners out there who who have ideas, you know, as a community, we really have to come together. But I think ultimately the long game here is is narrative change. It's it's education, which is why data research, education, and culture narrative are so important to us. Because I do, my my personal theory is that there are bullies out there. And if you're a bully with mental illness, then it is just, you're going after the person that you think you can bully. And so if, if it is Asian person right now, because our last president said a lot of nasty things about Asian people. And unfortunately in this country, you know, people cannot, you know, tell someone who is Chinese apart from someone who's Korean from Vietnamese, we all just sort of get painted with that brush. And I think that rhetoric people do not realize that when you are anti-China in your rhetoric, it doesn't matter if you're talking about a foreign policy issue, people are going to see a Chinese looking face on the streets of New York City and be angry at them. So we should all just be mindful about how, you know, we are contributing to some of this without even realizing it. And so the reason why we're focusing on data and education and cultural narrative change, because that is a long game of how we think we can start to unpack like just sort of like the very, very unconscious bias that folks might have against Asian Americans, not realizing that we are your neighbors, we are your friends, you know, we are teachers, we're your students, um, you know, we're just a part of the community. And for those of you who are listening, who might not live in areas where there are a lot of Asian people, you know, like get to know the Asian people in your neighborhood, you know, sit down, have a meal. The people that come to this podcast, they're such good people. And we we love you so much in our Do Good community because they want to perpetuate good. They want to stand up. They seek justice. They seek fairness. They want a better world for themselves, for their families. And I wonder if you could give us maybe a couple of tips. I love that one about just getting to know someone about how can our community be mobilized um, to be an ally? How can we stand up and be a part of moving this conversation forward and just being an advocate? 
Thank you for that. The thing that I noticed my friends doing in the last year is they they started checking in, you know, my non-Asian friends. And I really, really appreciated that. And I think that's one thing you could do is just check in with your Asian American friends being like, hey, you know, I'm seeing these headlines, like curious if this is impacting you or, you know, happy to have a coffee or, you know, have lunch just to talk and let you know that, you know, I'm here if you ever need anything. I think the number one, recognizing that this is something that is happening is really important. Uh, there are a lot of people who are, who have been on the other end of harassment or violence who have not reported it because they're, you know, they're shocked. They think they don't want to overreact. And so just giving people space to talk about that and then recognizing that that is something that, you know, is serious and, you know, we should sort of throw a solution at, I think is important. Uh, wherever you can support an Asian American anything, movie, TV show, you know, podcaster, please. You know, I do think that there is a little bit of work that my community needs to do in some of these industries. And that's what TAF, we call ourselves TAF, the Asian American Foundation. That's what we're here for. We're here to build power in areas where we feel like we currently don't have power. And that's in DC, Hollywood, business and philanthropy. So there are incredible sort of leaders in all of those sectors. We're bringing them all together. Daniel Day Kim, this incredible actor who we all know and love. Oh, we're huge Lost fans. You know, you should have oh, DDK yes. on your podcast. He is leading the Asian oh, American. Bring him in. <laughs> He's wonderful. I would, I would, I would die like, as well. Like <laughs> um, but he has sort of galvanized and organized Asian American celebrities, right? He is someone that everyone looks up to. So he's on our advisory council. So what I'm, I guess what I'm trying to say is, Everyone is doing the hard work. So if you could just support us where we are, um, I think that, you know, with more friends and allies, I, I feel like we're, we're going we're gonna to get there. Yeah. And I love those examples you use too, because I, I'm a creative at heart. And so I just believe that we need to tap into our creativity because there's going to be a lot of cool ideas of how you can invest and in just making small decisions in your local community that are going to shift this. Um Okay. We, you know, we talk about community is everything. It's our eighth core value. We kind of start with everyone matters. We end with community is everything. Would you talk about how you've united community among these partnerships with businesses that probably do business as competitors, even in this space? What does it look like to get people together? And what kind of is some advice for trying to galvanize this level of community among corporate partners? Oh my God. It's been such a joy. Um, such a joy because, you know, diversity is this sort of field where people who work in diversity, I often say it's the worst and best and worst job, right? Yeah. It's so hard yeah. to actually make change. I think that the business community has realized that now is the time to actually do something for the Asian American community. So I think in some ways we got a little lucky. It was, it was the right time to be inviting people in to join us in this mission and this work. It was the right time. They were looking. So I think for anyone trying to build community around an issue, timing is everything. And you have to figure out if this makes sense for that corporate partner. Otherwise, it's never going to happen. And I think because for us, we knew that corporates needed a strategy around Asian Americans, needed a thought partner, needed a friend to sort of guide them through what was happening in the country. Uh, we were the perfect partners and we had all the relationships. Uh, we had sort of the experience and they trusted us. I think it, it was relationships were everything. They knew our board members. They knew that I, who had been on the other side working with them, wasn't going to, I was never going to ask them to do anything crazy because I knew. <laughs> <laughs> I just think being strategic, right? Understanding that there has to be something for all parties involved, because I do believe that people want to do the right thing. It just has to make sense. Yeah. I, I love that so much. And the way that you're coming into this 
is with such open hands and open ears, but you're still educating. And 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 I think we, we talk a lot about like being human, do not being corporate as you're talking, sharing these lived experiences is massively powerful. And I just love that there is a convener now to like have these conversations and to understand how can people pour in. And I just wonder, we have a lot of nonprofits who are listening to this uh, podcast who may say, actually, I have something that aligns. Um, I mean, how how would they begin to go through your process and start a partnership where you can begin to amplify the work that they're already doing in their own communities? You know, just reach out, but um, understand that we are an organization that wants to bring everyone together. So, you know, when there are those opportunities, but we hope that we can partner with them. Um, but we're also a startup so if there's anyone who is looking for a job at the Asian American Foundation, wants to do something, you know, in-house with us to also reach out because we are, we are growing really quickly. You know, your story is just, I know, threaded with philanthropy that's kind of hooked you in a certain way. We ask all of our guests to kind of go back at a moment in time that you saw the power of philanthropy, whether in your life or maybe through this work in this last year. What's one that sticks out to you? You know, it's, I think when I look back at this time, working at the Asian American Foundation, I think the thing that I'll actually be moved by the most is how I will often be in a conversation with someone very powerful, you know, a managing director at a financial institution in New York City who's making plenty of money, you know, it's a really great life, but feeling their pride in being a part of the Asian American Foundation, knowing that this foundation was started by people that they respected, looked up to, and knowing that we as a community, we were coming together. I have had so many conversations where, you know, these really successful business leaders, you know, talk about when they were bullied when they were younger for having an accent, mm. right? And despite the fact that they might be successful now, like that stays with them. And so, the just like the value of knowing that there are these leaders who decided to come together that everyone had so much respect for and what that was actually doing for our larger community. This is like, this is stuff you can't capture, right? In like some annual report, but the feeling of pride and power that is, I feel is happening just in all the conversations I'm having with, with leaders and within businesses, it, that's been the most sort of inspiring and extraordinary. And it just leads to the hope, I feel like, of the promise of what could be if we could be brave enough to have these conversations, if we can be brave enough to kind of link our arms together. And I just think this is such a powerful conversation because anybody listening can do this wherever you are in the world. You know, find a way to be an ally, find a way to listen, stay informed. Um, and I just, I just feel very inspired by this story and we end all of our podcast conversations with a one good thing, and it could be a piece of advice or a life hack. What's a one good thing you could offer our community today? I think, you know, and this is, um, something that I'm going through in my life right now. I think that for a long time, I was always looking for the leader to work with who could change the world. Right. And so, you know, if you look at my resume, I'm always looking for like a really strong woman leader to work for. Um, I think it's at some point it's you. I was just going to say that to you. <laughs> so, I think that's the thing I would Own leave it. with everyone. Um, you are much more powerful, regardless of how old you are, where you are in your career. Everybody is so much more powerful than we realize. Whew, what a good one, good thing. And I see it in your story. I'm sitting here thinking that mm -hmm. too. That 
and you just made a call to join the team. And I'm like, to get to sit among these giants that have done such cool things, go work for Prescott, you know, go right work here. there. What Absolutely. A what an incredible opportunity. So could you connect us, you know, how are all the ways that our listeners can, can follow along with the foundation and you personally, where do you show up online and connect us to all the things? Oh my gosh. Now I have to actually do something online. Um, I, well, you could follow me on, <laughs> you could follow me on Instagram. My sort of like sad Instagram account. I don't do the thing that everyone is doing right now. We're keeping up with our social media, but you could also follow the Asian American foundation on all our socials, right? Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn. But what I would love is if you could find that local Asian American nonprofit in your community and send them a check, whether it's a $5 check, a $50 check, or a $500 check, because these are the organizations that are doing the really, really hard work every single day. And okay. they are there. Just look them up. You are playing the long game. Like you don't She's care about ultimate it coming game. through you. You care about actually changing the issue. Thank you. It is so refreshing and so good. Um, I just feel like I've learned so much hanging in your orbit. This has been amazing. And I'm going to make a donation to the Asian District Culture Association, which is in Oklahoma. Yes. And I'm going to put it in do honor it. of you. That's something that's in our hometown. Our family will do that today. So let's create a ripple, friends, wherever you are. I love that call to arms. And this is all something that we can do. Even if you don't have the funds to be able to do that, find a way even to use flex your social channels or something, reach out to a friend, text a friend and, and ask them how they are. So I do have one thing. Ooh. If you see anyone getting harassed on the street, whether or not they are Asian American or not, figure out how to stop it. Right? Like, yeah. I just think all these videos where you see people walking by that, oh. that drives me crazy. Yeah. Same. So, Right. Same. Many of us have kids. We mm -hmm. want a more humane and equal world for them to roam. And so, yes, you can count on us. Thank you. Thanks for joining us. Today's episode was brought to you by our good friends at Auth0. With Auth0, your nonprofit can do more with a login box. Greet prospects and rabid fans of your mission with authenticity. Simply make it easier for your team to manage data. There's so much that Auth0 login experience can do. Visit Auth0.org for more info. If you enjoyed this episode, we know you'll love being part of the We Are For Good community. It's like our own social network where you can find like-minded friends, ask questions, share resources, and find inspiration anytime. Sign up today at weareforgood.com backslash hello. Thanks, friends. Rabbit fans have always powered the We Are For Good podcast, but now Rabbit fans can get even more goodness and access by joining Good Friends. It's our listener support community for the We Are For Good podcast. Good Friends comes with perks, exclusive episodes with John and I, including The Good Brief, our new monthly cliff notes of the greatest takeaways and lessons learned from that month, and exclusive AMA episodes where we answer your burning questions and tap our community of experts. Join now or learn more at weareforgood.com backslash friends. We can't wait to see you inside. That's weareforgood.com slash friends.